0: This is Contact Mike Hello Nice to see you Nice to see you, do. It's May It's May
1: It's a podcast about the things that make us human Moments of change,
0: indecision, and, well, well contact. contact Contact
2: Mike is a monthly podcast by Sarah Walker
0: Ah, oh, what an amazing rock that is
2: And Flo Kilpatrick
1: There was no substances involved in any of that
0: it's produced by Kieran Ruffles.
2: You can just start taking heroin or start a life of crime.
0: And it's going to start. It's going to start. Now. Now.
2: Chapter 1.
1: This month in your world, Nauru decriminalised suicide. This comes after at least two refugees were jailed and fined for attempting to kill themselves on the island in recent weeks. The amendments are part of Nauru's attempt to bring themselves up to modern international human rights standards. The Nauruan government announced to anyone listening that suicide is no longer an offence and is considered more a mental health issue rather than a criminal law issue. This month in your world, a tiny boy, through a series of experiments involving his dinner and gravity, discovered object permanence. This month in your world, a fisherman saw more dead fish than he ever hoped to see. 40,000 tonnes of salmon, 8,000 tonnes of sardines, and thousands of clams washed up dead on Chilean beaches. The smell was incredible. The sight was devastating. The fisherman was quiet. This month in your world, as infection raged within her body, a woman's morphine dose was increased. Every part of her slowed. And then... Stopped.
0: Chapter 2
3: I don't really... It's hard because of the, uh, oh, what do you call it? Brain. This is why you don't get hit by a car because your brain has like... Brain damage? Brain damage, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. This is Chris. He is a writer.
3: Yeah, so like always been writing, not necessarily always been good.
0: <laughs> in 2007,
1: Chris was working in a Telstra call centre.
3: And it was the worst thing ever.
1: He started writing plays to cope with the boredom and the medium just kind of worked. Chris's brain worked in dialogue. He'd found a voice, and it was a beautiful one. Playful, poetic, and at times deliciously trashy. In 2014, he went to NIDA to study writing for performance. In August of that year, the school flew them to Edinburgh and the Fringe, and a few of them
0: travelled on. So tell us about the sort of person that you were on August seventh, two 2014. Pretty like...
3: Party purse, Like, the few days that I spent in Germany, which is where the accident happened, um, was just basically, like, three days of me and a couple friends from my class just getting kind of wasted. I was, like, a very anxious person, like, before, and sort of self-medicated through, like, a lot of alcohol. I was, like, I remember distinctly, one of the things I do remember distinctly, is um, going, hmm, I'll probably have to deal with this when it... When it, when it becomes a problem. And it's like, uh, in retrospect, when you're thinking I will have to deal with this when it's a problem, it's probably already a problem. Skip forward a week or two. Chris woke up. He didn't
0: know where he was, but he knew something was wrong. He didn't remember the night before, or the night before that, or the week before that.
3: Kind of like not being able to move my head up properly, but like seeing my parents and seeing Jeremy and being really... Glad, And then being like, wait, it's weird that I'm glad that you're here. Wait, where is here? Wait, what's going on? And slowly piecing, if not piecing together what happened, piecing together the question, like formulating questions in my brain that made me go, "Mm, something is really not right. And, oh, I actually comprehend that I'm in hospital and I think something bad has happened to me. So you, you don't remember the actual accident, do you? Sort of remember it, but I think I, I remember it in the sense where I've been told it enough times so that I have this weird sort of uh, like reconstruction in my brain. So a
1: bunch of playwrights were out late in a strange city and they were drunk.
3: So we were kind of bar slash big scary German club hopping till something like four or five in the morning.
1: They went across a big road, almost empty that time of the morning.
3: In classic, like, me style, I saw a bakery and was like, "Oh, bakery, baked goods at five in the morning, and just shot out of the trees and, like, right into, like, the one car that was going in. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history.
1: It was August 8th, 2014, and Chris was airborne.
3: The one time in my life that I have ever done car wheels. <laughs> um, I apparently <laughs> car I just went, flew up into the air, and then... Flew down.
1: Chris landed face first on the road. This is a good thing. If his body had turned one more half rotation and the back of his head had taken the impact, he would have died.
3: So there he lay, in
0: the light of the bakery.
3: The fated bakery, the pretzels that I never got.
0: A still point in a moment of chaos.
3: The guy got out of the car and, like, possibly fainted.
0: Someone called an ambulance and Chris was whisked to hospital and put straight into an induced coma for a week.
1: Chris's parents and boyfriend Jeremy flew across the world to be with him and back home friends waited to hear if he would wake up and how he might wake. Chris had brain damage. He had to learn to balance, walk and run again and, like a stroke patient, one side worked better than the other for a long time. There was memory loss in the weeks prior to the accident, plus a fractured skull. His jaw was broken in two places, and almost two years later, he is still working to correct the double vision the impact
3: left him with. Don't get hit by a car, ladies and gentlemen. I got a few emails from the German theatre companies being like, so we noticed that you bought tickets, but you didn't show up to the show? Um, why? That's so German. <laughs> yeah, so German. I was like, um, mm, I was not conscious. Sorry. <laughs>
0: In the same way that we know the stories of our births or first words through borrowed memories, Chris's story is a patchwork of his own recollections and those of the people around him.
3: For, like, a couple of weeks, I was, like, every day I'd be, like, 51st day, it's, like, Drew Barrymore, except I wasn't as attractive as Drew Barrymore. But um, it'd be, like, I was convinced that night were were going to, like, kick me out. <laughs> But my parents were like, we've spoken to Stephen. He's like, you're welcome to come back as soon as, like, whenever you're ready. Like, you don't need to stress focusing on getting better. And I was like, yeah, that's that's really good. Oh, that's amazing. And then an hour later, I'd be like, I'm so worried about Niner. What's going to happen? <laughs> or I decided one day that it was going to be Jeremy's birthday in a few days. I was like, I'm in hospital. What am I going to do? I can't bake a cake. There's no ovens here. And, like, was just like rambling for like half an hour about my plans and like what we we're going to do to my mum. She was totally supporting this imaginary birthday party that I was going to throw. She was like, what will the music be? You've got your iPhone, that still works. <laughs> and then like Jeremy came in into the room and it was just like, shh. He <laughs> was just like, it's your birthday. And he was like, it's not my birthday. That's in January.
1: <laughs> Jeremy was there with Chris throughout this ordeal. He spoke German and acted as translator for the family in a hospital where even the nurses who knew English refused to speak it. But something felt wrong between Chris and Jeremy, and Chris couldn't understand it.
3: So that was the weirdest thing of being like, oh, I'm here. Oh, you're here. I know who you are. Oh, I get the feeling I've done something really bad. <laughs> I just, I'm trying to find ways to sugarcoat it. I shouldn't. I cheated on him. Um, overseas. Uh, I don't really know why. I don't really remember it. And I'm, he found out because he was looking at my phone and surprised. And so he was asking me these questions about what had happened. And I couldn't remember what had happened. And so I was making it up. I was just making up these answers. Oh, so I, I just sort of navigated my way through this web of, like, lies, being like, I think this is it. I think I did this. And, of course, given, like, what had happened and everything, he was like, you think he's not an answer. And I was like oh, yeah, you're right. I'll lie. Like, no. It's like, you think was the only answer that I could have given. But, um, I mean, that's like such a specific and screwed up situation. So yeah, that all happened. We went back to Melbourne, got back, we here for about a week. And then he was like, mm, I can't do this. Goodbye. And I was like, that's totally fair. I've been a really bad person. I like, I'm really sorry, but I also can't ever truly be truly sorry because it feels like it feels like having an evil twin who's like gone through and done all this stuff and it was like you've you've done this and it's like like i have receipts and i was like yeah, i don't remember that at all or any of that but like that is literally this little icon of me and like this grinder account with like me and all these people being like really intense sexual stuff. And so I was like, yeah, clearly I did do that. I'm so sorry. I don't Like
0: the world's longest drunk blackout.
3: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, re- I have fucked up my life. <laughs> me. I did it. That was me. Um, how do I navigate that? And then also being like, I'm also looking at the prospect of like, hi, I have a brain injury. I can't navigate being human. And I have to date again. Like What? <laughs> When people
0: die, we grieve. And these days, we do it publicly, in text, with emojis on their walls. When Chris was comatose, Facebook became the way for friends far away to keep track of his progress.
3: Jeremy was like, well, I'll be like the keeper of the words.
1: So Jeremy was keeping Facebook up to date, but soon, very soon, things got a bit out of hand. Months after the accident, Chris finally read the message chain. Dozens of people grieving a man who had lived.
3: I guess, yeah, there was a lot of outpouring of this intense, like, emotional lamentation of, like, I was dead. Um, So that was very bizarre because I was like, I kind of feel like I shouldn't be reading this. But then also the majority of people had said or contributed all these, like, feelings of woe towards the general state of my being. But then also, like, I didn't see them kind of at all. or Maybe, like, once at a party in the past, like, year and a half. So it was like... When I was actually in the country, you didn't physically catch up with me, but it was fine to do this weird thing. It was like seeing your own like funeral, almost, which was strange.
0: Chris threw himself into the task of trying to unfuck his life. He threw himself into his therapy sessions, goals the doctors thought he would take years to reach he would achieve in six months. By the end of that first year, he would have written six plays.
3: Brain injuries kill your drive. Um, and I was very lucky to not have my drive killed. I was also told when the doctors sort of took me in that I would probably never write again, which was a really like a grand, like sweeping statement and really incorrect and a little bit fucked because I was like, I only really had riding at that point. I was like, Sh- shit. It was also terrifying. There was all the doctors and especially in, in like Australia were like, you're so lucky. And I was like, I don't feel lucky. <laughs> I can't ride or like properly run, not do any of these things. And then um, just saying other people, like, contextually, I was like, oh, yes, no, I am lucky. People are in wheelchairs uh, or, you know, drooling. I actually got out way easier than I could have. As part of my being like, oh, my God, how do I unfuck my life? It sort of just became this thing of, I will just write a lot.
1: Chris wrote and wrote and wrote. Within a week, he had written a new play. And when that week and the play had ended, Jeremy took him back. They're still
0: together today. That play is called Intoxication. It was literally about two things, brain damage and booze. What do you think it was about
1: alcohol? Why was, why was that your, your <clears throat> self-medication yeah. of choice?
3: Well, partly it's because I'm adopted, so my birth mother is like a raging alcoholic.
0: This is not an exaggeration. This was full blown, very harmful alcohol addiction.
3: We didn't really see each other for a little while, and then I just get these drunken phone calls from her being like, We need to hang out. I want to see you. It was like, I'm at the supermarket or I'm in a rehearsal. And then I get these text messages from her being really angrily, be like, I just think it's really rude that I'm trying to reach out to you and you don't want. And I was like, I i in a rehearsal, like, or rather like, I want a little dinner break. Like, I've got 20 minutes, I just want dinner. Like, you know, calm down. And that happened enough times, and I was like, I just don't want do any of that. And so there was this whole big thing where, like, my non-birth mother, my mother-mother, was like, hmm, that's probably something you have to worry about, like, because genetically it'll get you. And I was like, ah, yeah, sure, right, whatever. Oh, uh. I don't know, it was that thing of, like, it stops the anxiety. It just makes you more confident in a way, like, and not necessarily that you should be, <laughs> and I can be, like, the extroverted person that I always feel like I want to be, it sort of tricks you into going, hmm, I'm much cleverer, or, I'm much more, like, charming, and it's like, no, you're not, <laughs> you're really not, you dickhead, so now I'm just like, yeah, I was this, like, I was an alcoholic, or kind of am an alcoholic, and, like, I'm just sort of fine to just be like, yeah, that was what I am, because I was, and I don't want to sugarcoat it, but I was, like, you know, I got into NIDA off an application that I literally wrote like when I was a bottle of wine down I was even gonna apply for NIDA and then I did because I was drunk but uh it turns that getting hit by a car makes you uh address that it's really interesting having been on both sides like I literally was like why are you not drinking why are you not drinking like I've literally had someone go to my face what's wrong with you just like you're not drinking what's wrong with you
1: what did you answer
3: I was like, I got hit by a car. I have a brain injury. That's what's wrong with me. <laughs> she was like, oh. And then she ordered a cocktail anyway. And there's that whole thing of, oh, writers have to drink and blah, blah, which I partly totally brought into. it. And I was like, oh, it's fine. You know, writers drink. <laughs> um And then going to NIDA was like a lot of amazing people who are so anxious, like so anxious and so intense. There's this feeling of like, oh, we're going to make it. We have to make it. Like, I don't know what it is, but we have to make it. And then you combine that with going to opening nights at like STC or Boulevard and stuff where it's so much alcohol and where it's this kind of like, people with like a glass of wine in each hand being like, chug-a-lug. Like everyone's sort of encouraging each other, not necessarily on purpose, but just being like, yeah, like,
1: let's do this. It is an industry that is it's, very fueled by alcohol. I remember for a little while yeah. when I was very poor, I was like, I will only drink alcohol when it is free. And then I was like, that doesn't thats really always- lower my alcohol <laughs> yeah. intake at all. But It just makes me feel kind of desperate when I'm at opening nights.
3: Yeah, you're like,
1: <laughs> How is the Chris of today different to the Chris of a year before the accident?
3: Mm. <laughs> um... Well, I'm sober, so that's a step. But I think i like, more secure in myself. And, like, just more quietly secure, if that makes sense. Like, before I was very much like, I want to be an extrovert, I want to do this, and, like, because I'm fun and do things. now I'm, like, I'm chill, and I am okay being alone, and I like being alone, and, like, reading, and not very good at talking to people and I'm kind of just okay with that. And like, I will not turn to giving myself this false sense of grandeur through alcohol. In a way, I'm kinda glad. I'm not glad that I get hit back car, but like it sorted out a lot of stuff in my brain or forced me to sort it and confront a lot of stuff. And um going back to NIDA was really good because I was able to go back as kind of more like the person that I wanted to be, versus like this like anxious wreck of a human literally drinking like a bottle of wine a night and being like, it's fine. <laughs> Waking up in the morning just like parched and like with a hangover, it's totally fine. We'll just do that every day. Like, n- no, no, no. But yeah, I guess being this person who is just so like, A, be very drunk and then also be like, hi, hi, hey, person, hey, friend, hey, you- you're just not replying to my text. Huh? You're probably really busy, but um, friend, friend, friend. Friend? Friend? Like, but then coming back and having had this, like, brain switch and being like, okay, well, if you don't reply, that's fine. We just won't hang out and you're probably not my friend. And hey, that's whatever. That's fine. But I guess I, yeah. Karma? <laughs> I think I'm karma now. And also more anxious. So like, <laughs> that doesn't really make sense. But, um, yeah, karma in one sense. And then. There's something freeing about being okay about it enough to be like, fuck yeah, I'm actually a really anxious person. As opposed to what it was before, it was like, <laughs> I'm not anxious. <laughs> glug, glug, glug. So it's weirdly freeing, more freeing in a way to be like, yeah, this is just maybe who I am as a person.
1: Chapter three. Our industry is so linked to alcohol. Mm. All the arts in general, but in fact i'd say comedy even more so than theater i've spoken to comedians who are like so many of us get our starts nervous and take a drink or two or three to get up on stage that very first time and then that becomes what you do to get up on stage at least theater we go on stage sober yeah mostly mostly (laughs) yeah we get off stage drunk yeah, a lot of the time, mm. but the fact that actually the very making of their art is often linked to alcohol makes it so difficult to be a sober comedian.
0: Mm. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm very grateful for the fact that I'm useless when I've been drinking. I'm just, I just want to sit down and smile at people from a chair and then go to bed. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a productive drunk and I never have been every, like when I've, gone through periods of writing I've been like oh I know I'll drink half a bottle of wine and then I'm gonna write this incredible thing and pretend I'm in a Parisian garret and then invariably I drink half a bottle of wine and I'm like oh well, it's, it's nap time isn't it it's bed it's time for bed it's yes. like write drunk edit sober doesn't work for me it's just like go to bed drunk wake up feeling guilty for not having done anything yeah uh, <laughs> but I'm really grateful for that because I kind of understand the appeal we have this myth of the artist is this kind of like self-destructive drunk who exists sort of on the the fringes of experience and so is constantly being drunk is a is a way of accessing creativity and artistry and it's very it's very intoxicating ha huh. it's very intoxicating what a good pun <laughs> it's yeah but that's such an old
1: myth and it is mm. so intrinsically linked into the arts and it's still damaging for us today it means that you can step back and be like I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine when you're actually turning your career into a very unsustainable thing.
2: There's something around this concept that, like, art exists out in this extreme etheric sort of zone and that only by the deformation of our senses can we access it. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, it's a really sort of... 18th 19th century romantic ideal where people were getting fucked up on absinthe and writing you know some of the best romantic poetry ever Mm. to feel that you can only access your creativity in that way is to kind of believe something really negative about yourself to Mm. believe that you don't really have any talent Mm. or that you know fate has decided to hide your talent from you behind a wall of sobriety
0: yeah i think we kind of expect artists to be incandescent and the idea of having a a long kind of slow burning productive career isn't attractive it's Mm -hmm. not sexy yeah Mm -hmm.
2: yeah i mean it's not the it's not the image that we associate with that high romantic Mm -hmm. ideal of the artist
0: i was talking to a friend yesterday who he's an animator and he created this um Pilot and I said, Oh, so that was six minutes. How long did that take you? And he said, It took me three months of animating 15 hours a day. So he started at 9 a.m., he finished it at midnight, and then he went to bed, and then he got up and did it again. And he was really depressed and he wasn't exercising and he wasn't looking after himself. But he was making art. Yeah, and he was like, <laughs> Look, I didn't enjoy a thing that I should have enjoyed. But also, I could sort of feel this thing in him being like, Yeah, but like I know I cared because I, I to myself to do it and I was like I've never worked that hard like I've never I've never done that and I felt kind of guilty about how good I am at structuring my time and my my leisure and sleep usually like I just I'm at a point now where I'm like no I need to exercise four times a week otherwise I feel like shit mm-hmm. I need to eat vegetables I need to see people I care about
1: this is a weird thing to put in our podcast perhaps but you are also a bit of a mentor for me in that aspect because you make room in your life for joy in a way that few other people artists that I know really do you prioritize joy time Mm. (laughs) whilst I'm good at prioritizing sleep and exercise and time with my dogs I don't necessarily make time for joy and friendship outside of that and that's the thing that I'm still looking at you and being like that's something I could work harder on look at all those videos of Sarah smiling and being really happy with people (laughs) that's time I prioritize
0: for sleep (laughs) also this element and I feel like maybe this has always been the case with artists where in society generally you're expected to come across as though you're doing okay and artists have kind of always embraced being like actually I'm really fucked up and I'm making beautiful Mm -hmm. art about it and something that's happened with the internet is that there's this kind of strange pride in being really anxious and really dysfunctional. And yeah, like you kind of overwork. And, overwork. and overwork, yeah, totally. It's a really big thing. You know, Facebook memories <laughs> is a good way to
1: reflect back on yourself mm. and how you have approached a public persona. Yeah. And that's so i interesting. And every now and then something will pop up where I'll be there complaining inadvertent mm. commas about a fifteen hour work day. And, mm. But actually you can tell I'm glorifying. Yeah. Actually bragging. actually <laughs> I'm saying guys like it's really hard I'm working so much guys it's really tough um I'm not looking after myself at all (laughs) you know and I'm really concentrating this time a lot of my students have me on Facebook I'm so acutely aware of that I'm really concentrating on trying to glorify self-care but Facebook as well this was another element that I was really interested in in Chris's story was being able to see a Facebook response to his death that didn't mm. happen. It's so strange when someone dies and how we respond as a community.
0: It's interesting, the eulogy used to be a role that was given to one or two people at a funeral and they were given the voice for everybody mm. in attendance. And now we're all we're all able to <clears throat> write around our own eulogies mm. for people and so you kind of get this people taking on that responsibility constantly and in so many different tongues it's kind of in some ways it's kind of beautiful and in some ways I find it I, I find it uncomfortable like I, yeah I kind of I have this weird discomfort with who's allowed to speak in that situation and I shouldn't have it because you know anyone who has a feeling is allowed to share and if you can share pixi- pictures of your brunch you should be able to talk about how someone made you laugh once mm-hmm. I kind of I would be so fascinated to see the sort of things that people would say about me I have thought about that and,
1: you know, I can be a hugely awkward person and a very silent person in large groups and I have, I have occasionally thought about it and thought about who would pour out grief and what they would say about me and, in, the, in the situation of my death and then I've thought there'd be a lot of people that would be very confused by, by people saying that I was warm and friendly. <laughs> You know some people would be like Flo you know really generous mentor and some people would be
0: like she always just looked very confused by my existence <laughs> it's probably because she was trying to figure out if she knew me because she didn't recognize my face this is true yeah yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah I wonder if you died if I'd write a thing I, <laughs> this is like a public an thing exciting turn yeah <laughs> i think i might that's oh well, thanks yeah. Well, you
1: could be one of the people being like guys really she was just very she just has really bad facial recognition yeah i, swear she
0: <laughs> I just explain you to everybody <laughs> be like p.s here's a bunch of hot photos of her <laughs> <laughs> remember her like this pouring a bottle of water over her head for art in a saucy way <laughs> Contact Mike is a monthly podcast about people by Flo Kilpatrick and Sarah Walker, produced by Keri
1: Ruffles. You can find us at contactmikepodcast.com. We would love it if you followed us on social media and reviewed us on iTunes. This has
0: been Contact Mike. This episode, episode ends now. And that's all, folks.